The following CME activity features content presented by leading experts. These excerpts are part of a certified educational activity titled Optimizing Clinical Outcomes in Advanced EGFR Mutant NSCLC. To access the entire activity and complete the post-test, please go online to www.peercme.com forward slash QYR. A printable transcript, slides, a practice aid and other features are also available. This activity is supported by an educational grant from AstraZeneca. Hello, this is Dr. Stephen Liu from Georgetown University Lombardi Comprehensive Cancer Center in Washington, D.C. I'd like to welcome you to this presentation discussing recent data on first-line treatment strategies for EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer. This activity includes two presentations. At any time, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. I'd like to start by introducing my co-panelists, Dr. Barb Malosky from the University of British Columbia and British Columbia Cancer Agency in Vancouver, Canada, and Dr. Nicola Girard from Institute Curie, Paris, France. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. The treatment landscape for EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer has certainly changed over the last decade with benefits seen in terms of increased survival. Where are we now, and what does the future hold for EGFR TKI monotherapy? Well, the first evidence is that the standard of care for those patients relies on EGFR TKIs upfront. We have data from landmark clinical trials that compare those TKIs to chemotherapy, and also we have some trials that compare one TKI to another. And in terms of PFS, the highest PFS reported so far is from the FLORA data with ozimertinib first line with a median PFS of 18.9 months. I mean, we've seen significant strides uh, with ozimertinib in this space. Um, what do we know about these newer generation TKIs? Well, I think the um, Aura 1 expansion, early the phase one that looked at treatment naive patients and 30 patients were given 80 and 30 patients were given 160 milligrams. So we learned that with the 160 milligrams, there are more dose reductions. So the original Aura trials looking at that 80 milligrams really, I think, solidified the flora data. Um, obviously, many of us are using 160 milligrams from the Bloom trial looking at leptomeningeal disease. But I think the Aura 1 trial really, like the flora trial, verified this PFS that's really quite impressive. And we've come a long way from median survival of a year. There are some studies looking at survival in the four to five year range. But these are younger patients, healthier patients, and I've never met someone who'd said five years was enough. Right? And, and certainly there's plenty of room for improvement. And so what are the strategies? How can we do better here? Should we look at combinations? Is combination therapy really the future for EGFR mutant lung cancer? Yes, and actually our paradigm uh, nowadays is based on the replacement of chemotherapy by the TKI. But maybe we can think differently, and uh, these are the data from the NEG009 trial that compare the combination of the TKI with chemotherapy versus uh, the TKI alone. So this, these data uh, have been obtained with gefitinib, and as you can see, the PFS in this trial with the combination of the TKI plus chemotherapy was 20 months, which is actually impressive in this situation. I think the PFS improvement was, was impressive, but I was most struck by the survival improvement. And for me, at least, at ASCO 2018, this really came out of, out of nowhere. There was a significant improvement in survival here. Mm -hmm. um, with the survival improvement, is this a strategy that either of you have adopted? Well, personally, it was almost too good to be true when you see overall survivals at that 52 months. And, you know, 
albeit it was a Japanese um, population, and they do do better in many of their trials than the Caucasian population. So many of us looked at this trial and said, you know, maybe it would be nice to have another trial. So you're a little, a little skeptical, Nicola? Well, I, I think the OS is also influenced by subsequent therapies. And with the use of gefitinib plus chemotherapy, maybe we can deliver additional lines of TKIs, which may impact the overall survival. Was the regimen well tolerated? Well, we had the toxicity of the TKI, which is pretty manageable, with that of chemotherapy. So we are increasing globally the, the rate of, of side effects. You know, at this year's ASCO, at ASCO 2019, we saw a second study, a uh, very similar design, randomization to gefitinib or platinum-based chemotherapy, carboplatin pemetrexid. And again, showing an improvement in PFS, a doubling of the median PFS, and a significant improvement in survival with a hazard ratio in the 0.4.5 range. I mean, this is two randomized phase three trials that have shown not just a PFS benefit, but an OS benefit to this combination. I mean, what do we need to, to change the standard here? Oh, you know, I think everyone is talking about this. I think this is so interesting. And, you know, it really, you know, I said that we need another study, and this is the other study. And it'll be really interesting to see if people adopt this. Now, Jafitnib is a first generation, and many of us are using both second and third generations up front. So, you know, is this better than using um, osteomertinib in the treatment naive? I think that's the bigger question everyone is asking. I think that these combinations are, are very compelling. And if I lived in a world where I had no access to osomertinib, I think this makes a strong case for first-gen TKI plus chemotherapy. But it's not the only combination that's been explored. There are a lot of studies going on in parallel. Barb, what are your thoughts about angiogenesis here? We have two trials, albeit both in, from Japan. One was phase two, the other was phase three, that looked at the combination of Bev and Erlotinib versus Erlotinib alone in patients who had an EGFR mutation. And the results, um, you know, look like the combination, look like single-agent osteomitinib. We're looking at PFSs of 16 and almost 17 months, um, response rates that are high. And, you know, I think I've used uh, Bevacizumab for many years in the GI world. And yes, there's adverse events, but most of those are very well tolerated. So this may be an, an alternative strategy. I think there's a, a nice signal here, but we don't really see an OS benefit with this combination. Really, that comes to this year's ASCO, where another trial looking at a different VEGF inhibitor, remdesivir in the relay trial. Remdesivir is a bit different than bevacizumab. It's against it, it's an inhibitor of the uh, VEGF uh, factor two, whereas uh, bevacizumab is against the ligand. Most people think that it's a stronger inhibitor. And the relay study is now showing a PFS of 19 months and a very durable response. That's pretty Impressive. interesting. Yeah. yeah, You're looking at PFS rates pretty similar to, to yeah. osimertinib in the frontline setting. And we keep the opportunity to deliver subsequently uh, osimertinib. That's a very good point. Which may impact yeah. the overall survival at the end of the day. When we think of our, our approach to patients that are EGFR positive, I think a real threat, at least in, in the U.S., is the, the, the development of immunotherapy. We saw from a single-arm phase two study by Aaron Lisberg and Eddie Guerin in patients with an EGFR <coughs> mutation and PDL1 expression, mostly high PDL1 expression. There was a single-arm study looking at monotherapy with pembrolizumab. And of the patients with a confirmed EGFR mutation, a 0% response rate. When they moved on to TKI, some real concern about increased toxicity there. So I think what we learned from this experience is that when you have PDL1 expression, you cannot interpret that 
without knowing that that patient does not have an EGFR mutation. And really, these patients are, are treated very differently. But it means you have to wait for mutation results. And sometimes that can take weeks if we're doing tissue testing. How do we get around that, Barbara? Well, a good co uh, Canadian colleague of mine and a good friend, Natasha Lale, did the NIO study. And that was looking at plasma testing for primary diagnosis of EGFR mutations. And one, I think she showed that it was doable. Interesting enough, she showed that the response or the, the finding of EGFR was actually higher in plasma than tissue. She was able to bring the turnaround time to about five days. So I think that's the solution. Historically, this is a type of testing that has been very specific, but has lacked a little bit in sensitivity. But I think things are changing. The technology is getting better, uh, faster, and I think this is a, a real benefit sure. towards patients. Uh, so. How do we bring this into the clinic? Well, when, when we face a patient with uh, EGFR mutant non-cell lung cancer, we have to consider the results from those studies in terms of efficacy, PFS, overall survival, because we need also to think after first line and what will be the strategy that we can deliver to the patient. Obviously, safety has to be uh, uh, managed uh, as well. Finally, we have also several subsets of, of patients, patients with CNS disease, patients uh, with uh, altered performance status, uh, elderly patients, and this also comes into the discussion when choosing one TKI versus another. We have also different subsets uh, of EGFR mutations, frequent mutations, but also uncommon mutations that may benefit from second-generation TKIs. And all these differences may matter. I, th I think we're all impressed by the Flora data. We're still waiting for the OS data from Flora, the final readout. We suspect there to be an OS benefit, but we haven't formally seen that yet. Uh, and we've also seen some early looks into the adjuvant setting, mm. uh, uh, trials that are sort of ongoing. What are your thoughts about adjuvant therapy for EGFR mutant lung cancer? I don't think it's prime time yet. You know, again, um, the CTONG trial did not have overall survival. The Radiant didn't have a p-value for the EGFR mutations. So we have to wait for Adora. Well, I want to thank you for, for your contributions here. Uh, I think the takeaways from, from this first talk is that adding VEGF, targeting angiogenesis, um, or adding chemotherapy to first-gen TKIs is very promising and, and I think deserves more attention. But it's difficult to compare in the current landscape where we're using third-gen TKIs. We need more, more studies. Flora has shown osimertinib to be a very effective drug. We're waiting for overall survival benefit. But in clinical practice, it is critical to wait for the EGFR mutation status before we make any treatment decisions. Um, and a very intriguing uh, area of research is sequencing, you know, trying to extend the duration of targeted and TKI therapy. Um, so we really need to think about different sequencing strategies, and that'll really be the focus of our next presentation. Hello, this is Dr. Stephen Liu from Georgetown University, Lombardi Comprehensive Cancer Center in Washington, DC. I'd like to welcome you to this activity on factors influencing post-progression treatment strategies in patients with EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer. This activity includes two presentations. At any time, you may download supporting materials and share this activity with colleagues. I'd like to start by introducing my co-panelists, Dr. Barb Malosky from the University of British Columbia and British Columbia Cancer Agency in Vancouver, Canada, and Dr. Nicolas Girard from Institut Curie in Paris, France. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you. What do we know about mechanisms of resistance to EGFR TKIs in patients who have progressed on, on first-line therapy? You know, we understand that when we detect an EGFR mutation in, in non-small cell lung cancer, that it's present in all of the tumor cells, that it is not lost over time. But we also know that it doesn't mean these cells are genomically identical, that there exist different clonal subpopulations. And as we exert selective pressure with drugs like osimertinib, we force that tumor to evolve and increase its biological complexity. What do we know about resistance to osimertinib? 
Well, we know from plasma testing in those patients from the floor trial that were treated with osteomitinib and then progressed that actually some very interesting resistant uh, findings were found. Um, one, met amplification seemed to be quite common. In fact, it was probably the most common uh, resistant mechanism. The second is that we found some really interesting new mutations that we haven't really had to deal with before, like the C797S. You know, HER2 was found, uh, PI3K, so I think we're starting to learn what is the patterns of, uh, of resistance after osteomitinib. So you mentioned med amplification. I think that was seen in about 15% of patients. Is this something that's actionable? Well, I think we're learning. You know, in the Tatin basket trial, there was a cohort that were T790 negative that were given osteomitinib and a MET inhibitor, savulitinib. A 52% response rate was seen, so that's interesting. And it was quite durable. So interesting activity combining a MET inhibitor with osimertinib. And that was in the first, that was after first and second mm -hmm. gen TKIs. Uh, what if you had started on a third gen TKI? If you started with osimertinib and then developed uh, MET amplification, do we know anything about that as an actionable target? Well, in Tatum trials, there was a cohort of uh, patients pre-treated with osimertinib, and you can see the response rate that was 28% with a duration of response of nearly 10 months. So we may control uh, at some point uh, the disease in, in those uh, patients. These are highly selective subgroups and we certainly need larger studies, but encouraging that we could maybe overcome uh, resistance. When we think about devising an optimal treatment strategy. Um, can we increase the time using targeted therapies? An argument that continually comes up is, is sequencing. Uh, we have one approach using a first or second gen TKI and then a progression moving to osimertinib. Uh, the challenge there is that uh, not all patients will be tested properly for T790M. And even those who are tested, not all will be T790 positive. So the math gets a little complex. How can we distinguish uh, these two? Certainly increasing the, the appeal of a sequencing strategy would be if we could ensure all patients with T790M were detected. And, and do we have different strategies to, to do that? Well. Uh, with liquid biopsy, we have a way to identify T790M in a timely manner for a majority of the patient, even if progressing lesions are not accessible to tissue biopsy. This was the case in this cohort of patients. For 90% of the patient, T790M could be identified using CFDNA testing. And uh, at the end of the day, this allows this timely identification of T790M, leading to a switch to osimertinib. You know, we think of osimertinib now as a first-line drug, but it was originally developed as a second-line agent. Uh, what do we know about its efficacy after first or second-gen TKIs? Well, we know that it's, you know, for those patients who we find a T790 mutation, really osimertinib is the treatment of choice, and that's from the Aura 3 data. Uh, Progression-free survival was 10 months, and it was actually 11 months by the independent review. Uh, CNS penetration was seen with a 70% CNS response rate. So, you know, we have to be diligent about finding the T790 mutation if we're using a first or second generation in the first line. And if we go with the sequencing approach, uh, you know, we can add PFS from first gen and third gen. Do we have real world experience with this, Nicola? Yes, and this is a geotag cohort of patients treated with afatinib first line, followed by osimertinib in the setting of T790M positive acquired resistance. And in this cohort of, of, of patients, the duration of TKI treatment, so first afatinib, second osimertinib, was nearly 28 months, leading to a median overall survival of 48 months. So it showed that in a real-life 
setting the duration of treatment is probably longer than the PFS reported in clinical trials. Because we are treating patients beyond progression in the setting of oligoprogressive disease, slow-growing disease, we try to push the efficacy of each line of treatment. And the time on TKI was, was impressive in Geotag. Uh, but the concern there is that Geotag was a retrospective study. And really, we're missing patients who start on the fat nib and don't go to osimertinib, which is really the main mm -hmm. takeaway from that, that sequencing strategy. It's more appealing if we could really identify up front who are the people that are destined to get T790, then maybe sequencing makes sense, mm -hmm. and those who, who don't. Uh, and as our newer combinations in the frontline setting uh, become increasingly effective, then maybe sequencing certainly uh, has, its, has its benefits. Part of the reason why we keep coming back to sequencing is because when you progress on TKIs, when you exhaust your TKI options, uh, the other therapeutic strategies are not so appealing. Really, chemotherapy is an option. Mm -hmm. So when you progress on TKIs, make the decision that chemotherapy is our next best option. Should we continue the TKI with chemotherapy? Well, the answer to that is no. From the IMPRESS trial, patients who were on gefitinib, when they progressed, if you added chemotherapy to that group, their survival, overall survival, was actually inferior to those patients who got switched to chemotherapy alone. So this isn't the first line you know, discussion that we had when we're now seeing a couple of trials showing a benefit of giving a TKI with chemo. This is TKI followed by TKI with chemo. It was before Ostromit, it was being used. It was be probably being driven by those patients who were T790 positive, but never got proper treatment. You mentioned this is different from the treatment-naive space where mm -hmm. we are seeing benefit. Uh, and we also don't know if this applies to osimertinib, which is mm -hmm. a different drug. CNS penetration may help that combination make a little bit more sense, but that's certainly not not appealing to continue. And you know, beyond chemotherapy, there's a lot of interest in immunotherapy. And it's justified. Immunotherapy offers a chance for more durable benefits, for meaningful responses. But the outcomes in EGFR mutant lung cancer have been disappointing. You know, retrospective studies from Mass General have looked at response rates under 5%. Julian Mazieri's uh, immunotarget study looked at a response rate of about 12% with PFS uh, around two months. We're seeing response rates that are low, I think too low to make it incredibly appealing, but they're not zero. And so immunotherapy has some signal. Are there other ways we could uh, try to induce an immune response in these patients, Nicholas? Yes, probably with combination. Combination with chemotherapy and possibly antiangiogenics, as in the Impower 150 trial, reporting on a benefit of this uh, quadruplet combination in patients with EGFR mutant non-small cell lung cancer after the failure of uh, 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 first-line uh, TKIs. And this benefit was not observed without the uh, antiangiogenic drug, meaning that there is here probably a biological rationale to combine immunotherapy with chemotherapy, but also with antiangiogenic agents. Now, I think the, the hazard ratios in the EGFR subset were, were compelling. Exactly. They were exploratory in nature, but, but these are, are impressive data. Barbara, are you convinced? Is this your standard? Um, I think it's super interesting. I think it's hypothesis generating, but I think it has to be reproduced with a larger, with a larger randomized trial. It's uh, one of the few studies we have looking at combinations that include the EGFR, the, the keynote studies excluding patients with the EGFR mutation. So we'll, we'll wait to see results from, from newer studies. I think when we consider the post-progression space for EGFR mutant lung cancer, uh, biopsies can be very informative to identify histologic transformation, to identify other acquired changes, including metamplification, C797S, certainly T790M, if you start with a first or second gen TKI, and ongoing osimertinib combinations uh, are going to be important if they can overcome, and maybe in the future even prevent resistance. 
uh, you'd mentioned the data does not support continuing a first-gen TKI uh, with chemotherapy at the time of progression. Those data were, were inferior uh, with that approach. And so at progression, chemotherapy alone is an option. Chemo plus IO, potentially an option if we incorporate bevacizumab as an Empower 150, but certainly we need more work in that space. I, I want to thank you for, for your time and, and, and for being with us here today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for participating in this peer CME educational activity. To obtain your CME certificate, complete the required post-test and evaluation form.